but again, we are in lesson uh, 39 this morning, lesson number 39. We are going to finally be finishing this, uh, these series of lessons on this, this long and continuous day in the life of Jesus. Just again, so many things jam-packed into this one day uh, that we've spent the past four or five weeks, well, I guess four or five class periods talking about. And uh, of course, uh, if you were with us last Sunday, uh, we tried to talk about at least seven of Jesus' parables uh, all that Sunday morning. And it was quite the uh, accomplishment that we got through most of them, read most of them, and uh, noticed again uh, a lot of those great teachings that uh, Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 13. And then uh, Wednesday evening, we just focused in on one of those parables, which was the one that's probably more well known to us, the parable of the sower. And again, you know, we really wanted to emphasize, you know, that Jesus from now on is going to be teaching in parables. And this is just a brilliant uh, tool that he uh, used to teach people because, uh, again, you know, we love stories. We love listening to stories and maybe we can remember things better if it's put in a story format uh, parables really uh, make us want to dig in to them. You know, if we don't understand them quite well, uh, it's going to prompt us to really study uh, what Jesus is talking about. And that's exactly what the disciples did. You know, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying at first. And so they went to him and asked, you know, explain to us what this parable meant. And so that's another brilliant design of using parables. Uh, again, it was easy to remember. And one of the other things was, is that not only did it reveal truth, uh, spiritual truth, heavenly truth to those who are seeking it, uh, but to those who are just there to trap Jesus, to, to catch him, uh, who are trying to look for revenge of him, you know, those truths were concealed to them. Uh, and Jesus pointed out the, the, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, you know, that they kept on hearing, but they did not hear, and they kept on seeing, and they did not see. You know, they, uh, were not, they could not understand those parables because... Uh, uh, they weren't simply seeking those truths. And so, again, Jesus focused on that parable of the sower. Um, this is one of those few parables that Jesus actually gives us uh, within Scripture, an explanation as to what it means. And, of course, we recall that you know, the, the sower went out to sow. And, again, uh, you know, the seed is the word of God. That's what's being sowed here. And it fell upon those four uh, different soils. And so we, we talked about each of those soils and how they represented a different heart condition. And again, the, the, the seed that fell along the wayside on that hard packed down ground, uh, that seed couldn't penetrate into the, into the earth. Uh, we recall that you know, Satan came and quickly snatched it away. And so it never had the opportunity to grow uh, in the heart. And then, uh, then the next three types of soils that the, the seed was planted in, they, uh, the seed... Um, was successful at first, but we noticed uh, the, the, the second soil was uh, rocky soil. And so when that seed went into the ground uh, and started to spread its roots, it couldn't get beyond the, the rocks that were underneath. And so it couldn't get down into the moisture. Uh, it, it couldn't get to the water. And so we noticed that those, uh, that type of soil uh, represented uh, those uh, who, again, uh, were, were, had you know, rocks you know, this, this rockiness to their hearts that uh, it just as soon as persecution come their way, Jesus says, uh, they, they took off. Uh, they weren't firmly rooted 
uh, in the gospel message. And so they quickly uh, took off. And then there was the thorny soil. Right? This seed was competing with the thorns in the same soil. They're competing over the same nutrients, uh, the same water, the, the same sun. And eventually those thorny, or the thorny uh, soil it was going to overtake uh, the, the, the word of God. And Jesus said, you know, these are the, those that, who have the gospel message planted within them. But then as the cares of the world, the pleasures of life come upon them, uh, the, the word of God gets choked out. And so again, uh, it, again, it, it fails to produce uh, abundance of crop. And then finally, we didn't really get to talk too much about, but that fourth soil is when you know the gospel message is planted in it, and it's it's good. It produces an abundance. You know that's what we're looking for. That's the type of soil that you know we we want to. Uh, of course, we're we're sowing the seed. We want to sow the seed just like the sower did, and all the fields. In every direction, but of course, it's that that good soil that's going to produce um, a crop. And so, again, three of those four soils were receptive, but only one was successful. But we also uh, didn't really get to talk too much about you know the the process of uh, you and I you know helping to cultivate soil because just because a soil is rocky or thorny or, or packed down, does that mean it will always be that way? No, and so uh, we can uh, have, uh, you know, a, a, a say-so as to, you know, helping an individual who might have a, a thorny soil or, uh, or a rocky soil type of heart. We have the opportunity to help cultivate uh, and to, you know, maybe water and maybe help remove some of those rocks, remove those thorns. You know, we have the ability and the opportunity to do that as well. And so, again, it's not hopeless uh, for them. You know, that, that hard packed down ground, you know, maybe, maybe we're that rototiller that goes through it and, and digs up the dirt and, you know, gets the earth breathing again and makes it a good soil. And so uh, we have, we can play a role in that as well. And so that was uh, really the completion uh, of those parables that Jesus gave, uh, specifically in Matthew chapter 13. But Christ's busy day is not over with yet. We still have one more account that we want to look at this morning. Uh, of the same day. Remember, it all started back when uh, Jesus was accused by the Jews of doing things by the power of Beelzebul, uh, by the power of Satan. And Jesus had to you know, explain to them that that just didn't make any sense. How can a house divided against itself uh, work? And so uh, that began that day that Jesus had, and now it's going to end with him uh, getting in a boat and going from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. Uh, but before he gets there, there's going to be a storm upon the sea. And so that's what we're really going to focus in on uh, this morning. So before we read those scriptures, you know, let's let's take a few moments to think about, you know, storms, uh, physical storms. Uh, some of you know that Angela grew up in Kansas. And what do they have a lot in Kansas? Tornadoes, right. And so. Uh, when there's ever a tornado watch or t- tornado warning, you know, when we lived in Michigan or even here, you know, she took that seriously. Right? I mean, that was a that was something that's something big to her because she's lived in Tornado Valley. You know, she's lived uh, growing up, you know, in school of right, would you have to go under a desk or something like that or cover your head with books? OK, yeah. Having tornado drills. You know, we didn't have tornado drills in Michigan, uh, but. 
Uh, you know, that's something that she takes seriously. I don't as much because, you know, I didn't live uh, in that part of the country. I didn't see that many uh, tornadoes. But, but think, of, think of storms in general, you know, physical storms. Uh, what are some characteristics of uh, these types of, of storms that we see? Rain? Okay. Hail? Wind? Uh, what about the intensity? Can some of them be pretty intense? Yeah, some storms can be pretty intense. Are, are storms easy to predict? Sometimes they're not, are they? Sometimes they, they come out of nowhere. You know, we, we don't even know that, uh, that a storm front is coming or something like that. Uh, do we want to be in storms? No. No, we don't, right? We, we want to seek shelter. You know, uh, storms are things that we don't uh, want to be in. We don't want a part of. Uh, they can be intense. But then let's sort of uh, shift that thinking from a physical storm to, you know, a spiritual storm. Um, what are some storms that we face today spiritually? Illness. Okay, illness. Yeah, exactly. Illness, death, grief, you know, all of these things we might classify as, as storms uh, in our lives. And so, uh, you know, that's really going to sort of be this lesson this morning is we're going to look at this physical storm that Jesus and the disciples uh, go through. But then we're going to apply that, you know, spiritually. You know, what can we do uh, to help us when we go through those storms in life? And so what we're going to do, because this isn't necessarily a long text, is we're going to read Matthew, Mark and Luke's account. Uh, both, all three of these writers uh, record this for us. And so we're going to look at all three of those uh, and then we'll uh, discuss them. So we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, if you have your Bibles, in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, starting in verse, well, let's start at verse 18. And then we'll skip down to verse 23. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, it says that, uh, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart on the other side of the sea. And then verse 23, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? Uh, Mark chapter 4. Let's notice what Mark says about the same account in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Uh, on that day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along uh, with them in the boat, just as he was, uh, and other boats were with him. And they are, there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up 
and rebuked the wind and the sea and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay, so Mark uh, gives us a little bit more uh, information uh, than Matthew did. And let's look at one more in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. I think Mark is going to be our, our, uh, the best text to look at this morning because he's going to give us more uh, detail. And so um, I'm going to look at Mark going forward. But let's also see what Luke says about the same account. In Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. Now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And so they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up saying, master, master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. All right, so that's a, a great account uh, in Jesus' life as we end this, this day that it's evening time and they get in the boat. Uh, they are on probably the, the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee and they're going to head uh, east. Uh, to, well, if we followed along in Luke, uh, it says verse 26, it tells us that they, they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite uh, Galilee. And so that's on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I should have kept our map up there. Uh, it's been a while since we have had the map up there, uh, just to kind of notice uh, in what direction uh, he and the disciples are heading. But again, uh, Mark lets us know that it's about evening time when this happens. Mark also told us that there were other boats with him. Um, you know, this trip was to give him a break from the crowds, right? Again, a very busy day in his life, all these people around him. Uh, you, remember, uh, you remember in uh, Matthew chapter 13, before he gave uh, the, these parables, do you remember where Jesus was situated? He got into a boat, remember? Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 2. And large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowds were standing on the beach. You know, just imagine Jesus uh, in a boat uh, in the water, and he's looking towards the beach, uh, towards uh, all of the disciples there. And so again, um, he is getting into a boat. He's heading to the other side, uh, maybe to get a break from the great crowds. And uh, it's interesting in Mark's, Mark's account, Mark chapter 4, verse 38, tells us that he is in the stern of the boat. Where is the stern of the boat? In the rear, right? So Jesus is in the rear of the boat. Uh, Mark even tells us he's asleep on the cushion. Uh, maybe that's a seat cover or, or, or a pillow or whatever. But Jesus is in the rear of the boat and he's asleep. And why do we think Christ is asleep at this point? He's tired, isn't he? Right? This, this is just another one of those uh, examples in Scripture that point to Jesus' humanity. 
He had a very, very busy day. And what do we like to do after a long, hard, busy day? Right? We might take a nap or, or we might go to bed early. Right? So Jesus is, um, he is asleep. Uh, he's exhausted. Uh, they're in the boat. They're headed again to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And we, we talked about the Sea of Galilee a little bit a, a while ago. And we, we noticed that it was 13 miles long and it was eight miles wide. And so, you know, if you think if Jesus is going from one side to the other, you know, it's not uh, a quick trip, right? Uh, if you're going from, you know, the, the longest distance from uh, one side to the other, the eight miles wide is quite a trip to take, especially when there was no motor uh, for that boat. And so it typically would have taken a few hours to uh, make this trip. But then we notice that there is a storm uh, that comes upon them. Uh, how, did, how did Mark and Luke uh, refer to that storm? Or what, what a description did they give of it? A fierce gale. Yeah, a fierce gale of wind. Uh, a fierce gale of wind upon this lake. And Mark even said that the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was starting to fill in. So was this a little bitty storm or was this a great big storm? Yeah, this is, this is something that uh, we would normally take shelter to cover. Uh, you know, storms were not uncommon uh, in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this sea, or the, this, uh, yeah, the Sea of Galilee was 700 feet below sea level. And it's also surrounded by mountains, you know. And so when you have, you know, cool air sweeping down from the mountains down into, you know, this warm uh, valley type thing, you know, what happens when cold wind meets warm wind? Storms, right. And so uh, this is not uncommon for storms to be on the Sea of Galilee. But even here we have these disciples, uh, you know, you think of Peter and Andrew and James and John. You remember what their occupation was? They're fishermen, right? So they're, they're probably used to this. But even they uh, were uh, quite scared at this storm that was upon them. And, uh, you know, it's, you know the, the, the material points out that it's interesting to think about that the disciples were probably you know, bustling and bailing out water, maybe screaming at each other to be heard over the storm. But yet, where's Jesus? He's still sleeping, right? He's asleep. Uh, does this remind you of any Old Testament character of being asleep in a boat? Jonah. Jonah, yeah. That reminds me a little bit of Jonah. Uh, but his, his storm, you know, the storm that came upon Jonah was because of his disobedience, right? And, and actually, you know, the, the storm that the apostles are going through, uh, we might say, was because of their obedience. You know, maybe this was a way that uh, God was uh, testing them, or Jesus was testing them, going through this storm. And so uh, they go and they wake up Jesus, and they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? First of all, who likes to be woken up while napping or sleeping? Probably no one, right? No, no one likes to be woken up. Uh, but they come and they wake up Jesus from his sleep. Uh, and what did they expect Jesus to do? You know, again, Jesus was a carpenter. He wasn't an experienced a fisherman. You know, were they expecting him to start bailing the boat out? Were they expecting him to, 
um, help Roe? Or did they have something else in mind? Yeah, maybe they uh, were thinking about, you know, what they've seen Jesus do. Uh, they've seen him heal a lot of people, right? They've, they've seen him uh, uh, heal those who have been um, inflicted with demons. He, he's seen them heal those uh, phys- uh, physical ailments. But have they ever seen him calm a storm before? <laughs> You know, that's not recorded for us. And so it's interesting to think, you know, what were they waking Jesus up for? Were they waking him up to help, to help uh, the physical help? Or, or did they think Jesus could do something uh, to the storm? But once they woke him up, we notice that Christ first, uh, well, actually Mark and Luke first tell us that he rebukes the storm, the winds and the waves. And then he rebukes the disciples. Uh, Matthew kind of has it differently. Matthew says he, he rebukes the disciples first and then rebukes the storm. But either way, uh, he rebukes both uh, the storm and the people. How many, let me ask you this, how many miracles took place uh, when Jesus calmed the storm? Do you see more than one? Sorry? Okay. But, but the, when he said, hush, be still, and, you know, the, the, and, and miraculously stop the storm, you know, what two, uh, I guess, what two attributes of the storm stopped? Okay, the winds and the waves. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to point out is that, you know, this is kind of, if we kind of think about that a little bit further, you know, it's kind of even uh, more uh, impressive for us. Have you ever been to a... Uh, like a water park and they have one of those wave pools that generates waves. You know, they, they turn it on and then they get these big waves going, you know, and people are out there, uh, you know, having fun in those waves. But when they shut that off, the, that wave generator, do the waves automatically stop? No, they're, they're still kind of going. They're still, they're still going until they sort of fade into existence. And that's, you know, the, sort of the same thing here. You know, if a storm... Uh, dissipates, disappears, you know, there's still a ripple effect. There's still waves uh, probably going on the sea. But Jesus, by calming the storm, you know, he stopped the winds and the waves. And so that was amazing. And so then the disciples, uh, Matthew says, they said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? Or Mark, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Luke's record says, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? Is that a question that we need to ask in this life as well? What kind of man is this? That's a great question for us to ask as well. Is it maybe odd to you that uh, we see the disciples even at this point uh, asking that question about Jesus? Do you think maybe, or do we at least think that they should probably have more faith into who Jesus is by now? But what, yeah, but what, what, uh, again, what kind of man is this? And so, you know, we, again, we have to draw those conclusions for ourselves. Uh, nobody can decide that for us. We need to keep that in mind. We need to ask ourselves that question as well. What kind of man is this? See, because when the storm came, 
uh, Jesus was sleeping. And again, that makes us wonder why he was asleep. Again, he was exhausted. He was tired. But could it also be due to the fact that he trusted in God? His faith. We need faith like that. That's a good example for us. Not to get worried Right, right. Jesus was probably asleep because of his, uh, it had something to do with his faith in his father. Uh, I want to look at a passage in Psalm uh, chapter 3. I love this psalm uh, that David writes. I think I preached on it when I first began here uh, over a year ago. Uh, psalm chapter 3. This is when David is, uh, during his life, he's on the run from Absalom. You know, remember his, one of his son, Absalom, came and uh, wanted to take over his kingdom. And really all the people started to sort of leave David's side and they started going to Absalom's side. And, uh, and so Absalom, you know, he has the, uh, the thought to, you know, take over the kingdom. And of course, to take over the kingdom, you know, he's going to have to, you know, slay his father. And so David is on the run and we believe that he wrote Psalm uh, three during this time in his life. And just notice what it says. It says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. You know, I just love the, that those verses of David, the, just that imagery of you know, these armies around, you know, surrounding him. But yet he was able to lay down and sleep because he trusted in God. And so I, I just thought that was a, par- a powerful uh, example of you know, David's faith. Uh, to be able to do the same thing as well uh, as we see here, Jesus during the storm, to be able to sleep through that. But again, after the calm of the storm, uh, he rebuked his disciples. And what did he refer to them as? Did I hear someone say, men of little faith? All right, that, that's uh, Jesus uh, referred to his disciples as men of little faith. Well, wait a second. You know, we don't know where they were uh, during this trip. You know, I, I looked it up yesterday. The Sea of Galilee at its d- deepest point could have been 150 feet deep. You know, they could have been in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, maybe four miles into it and another four miles to go. 150 feet deep. You know, no life jackets, uh, the storm raging. And yet Jesus refers to them as men of little faith. Uh, what would he say about us? in our lives as well. Uh, are we individuals of little faith? Uh, sometimes we think of storms as just for, um, you know, bad people. You know, sometimes we see that in cartoons, you know, the, the sort of the evil person depicted in the cartoon, he's walking around with that storm above his head, you know, the rain and the lightning and stuff. And sometimes we depict people going through storms as bad people. But, you know, think of Job. Uh, we all are... We all recognize Job and the things that he went through uh, and his three friends. And, 
know, they really, you know, they had it wrong, but his three friends were sort of had the idea that, you know, bad things happen to bad people. You know, Job, you must have done something really bad for you to lose all ten of your children and to have your, uh, you know, your livestock stolen and slaughtered and to lose everything and for your body to be full of boils and your health deteriorating. And, you know, and that's what Job's three friends uh, sort of pushed during that whole book that, you know, Job must have done something wrong. But we know in the end that that wasn't the case. Uh, and again, Jesus and his disciples dealt with storms, okay? So storms aren't things that just bad people deal through. We all deal through storms. And, and this is kind of the question, the discussion part that I wanted to get to is, uh, how do you show your faith in storms? Because uh, remember, God never promised heaven on earth, right? Heaven comes after uh, earth. And so we are going to go through storms in this life. And how do we show our faith in storms? Okay. Prayer is obviously one of the greatest tools we have. Okay. Yep. Being secure in our faith. Should we, should we panic? When we go through a storm, you know, we'll tend to probably want to, right? Um, but, you, you know, because the boat could collapse at any time. It's overflowing. It could sink. It's fearful to stare at death in the face, right? It's a fearful thing. Uh, and we notice, what did, again, what did the disciples do? What did they accuse God, or what did they accuse Jesus of doing in this account? Of sleeping, yeah, of not caring, right? And then what they said to him, they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're accusing God of not caring of their circumstances. You know, the one who left heaven to come to earth. To live in poverty. You know, he was rich, but now he is poor. To be mistreated, to die on a cross for all men. And we would ask him, Lord, do you care? Do you even care? You know, sometimes we, in our frustration, in those storms, will raise a fist to God. Right? Uh, but we need to maybe recall this, this uh, illustration here, this, uh, this account, of, uh, again, of Jesus not panishing panicking, right? Hush, be still. Uh, we need to get perspective. There is a song uh, that called uh, Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. Are we familiar with that? Those lyrics, that song? Uh, I think, uh, at least when I was looking it up the other day, Bing Crosby, Mel Torme, even George Harrison from the Beatles uh, covered it. And it's basically this song about uh, you know, I'm stuck in the middle between the devil and the deep blue sea. You know, between, you know, Heaven and hell, that kind of thing. And, and I want to choose this, but I keep being pulled this way. Um, in Exodus chapter 14, you know, the people were delivered from Egypt, Egyptian bondage. Remember this? And they're being chased uh, by the Egyptians. I want, I want to notice one verse here in, uh, in this account. In, uh, if I can get there, Exodus chapter 14, verse uh, 4. It says, thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them and I will be honored through Pharaoh 
and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So, you know, God said in this verse, and really throughout Exodus chapter 14, you know, that as they are, you know, fleeing Egypt, as they're going through the Red Sea, and again, that's where I made that reference, uh, you know, between the devil and the great... Uh, the deep blue sea, you know, Exodus 14, really we could refer to it as between the devil and the deep red sea, right? And so as they are fleeing uh, through the red sea, uh, verse four tells us that God put them in that place for his purpose, right? For his purpose, he put them in that place. And it says, for the Egyptians will know that I am God. God is using this storm that the Israelites are going through to glorify himself, right? And maybe, the, maybe we need to get perspective as well when we're going through storms uh, because maybe God is using us in that instance. You know, again, maybe, perhaps, you know, providentially, he's using us to, uh, to glorify him as well. You know, when, when I'm facing difficulty, maybe, maybe we're going... Or maybe this is divine providence that God's needs that maybe God needs me to suffer and endure during this time. Again, you know that word providence. You know, perhaps, um, maybe. You know, that's perspective that we need to have as well. And then finally, uh, just one more point I want to make is that uh, you know how we show our faith in storms is that we need to just keep trusting, keep trusting, and uh, the. Uh, Kirk Brothers, uh, I guess he used to preach in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, but now he's uh, the president actually at Heritage Christian where uh, Christian Cruz goes. Uh, I was reading one of his books, and he's a huge Kentucky Wildcats basketball fan, which I know the majority of you are as well. Uh, But he he said in his book that uh, he has a tape of a game against Duke in which Kentucky was down by 17 points with 10 minutes left in the game, but they won. And so he enjoys watching that tape because he knows who wins, right? He'll go back to it and watch it over and over again because he knows the outcome, right? And we, as Christians, you know, we have this book and we know the outcome to it as well, right? And that should give us uh, a trusting faith that no matter what the storm is that we're going through, uh, that uh, we can go to go to His Word, and we'll we know what's going to happen in the end. We know that we will win, or that God will win, and we can enjoy that peace. And so, again, storms are going to come, uh, but if we have the right faith, we can sleep through them, uh, like Jesus, like David. And again, we should never forget to have Christ uh, in our boat uh, either. So, um, so that concludes this day in the life of Jesus. And again, a very long day. It ends up with him being exhausted, but giving this great miracle uh, for his disciples to see. And so Wednesday evening, we'll continue on in Lesson 40, and we'll see Jesus cast out more demons. uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And we'll continue on uh, in this life. And so I thank you this morning for your attention and all of the participation. And then Brother Jason's going to have our closing prayer for us.